Welcome to The Commentary, a weekly conversation about vision, worship, and life at Grace Presbyterian Church. I'm Mark Bertrand, the pastor of Grace, and my fellow commenter in today's episode is Cameron Brooks. Young people today are longing for transcendence. At least, that's what I keep hearing. I believe it, sometimes, and sometimes I'm skeptical. Part of the problem is that transcendence might not be the right word. Part of it, too, is that I've been hearing this for a very long time. As someone who shares the longing, I want to understand it better and help people who feel it find what they're after. So in this episode, Cameron and I will discuss what we think this longing is really about and where to go if we're going to satisfy it. Cameron, I feel like we've been talking a lot about books, either that we've read or want to read. And I was reminded recently of a book that I read a while back called The New Faithful by Colleen Campbell. It's a book about how the uh, coming generation of young adults is turning towards Christian orthodoxy. The only wrinkle, though, is the publication date, because this book came out in 2002. I actually read it when I could still, at least arguably, be classed as a young adult, uh, no longer. But I found the thesis of the book inspiring, and she, in a very journalistic way, was chronicling this turn toward a transcendence in worship and in faith. And in 2002, it was really ironic because throughout the 90s, we'd kind of been told that if we wanted to keep young people in the church, that we needed to get rid of all of that stuff and make it more fun and make it more accessible. And so here was someone with a completely different idea. Well, I have been thinking a little bit about how that thesis has aged, you know, 21 years later. Is this still the case? Because I feel as if I've had conversations along the same lines with a lot of people recently. Uh, And we're still kind of talking about, oh, this new generation is, is looking for transcendence. This new generation is really serious about historic Christianity. And I thought that might be interesting for us to talk about uh, maybe uh, first off, whether or not that feels right or not. Uh, If it does, what does it mean? And also, maybe a bigger question, if, if we're all searching for transcendence, where did it go? Like, what happened to the transcendence that used to be part and parcel of the Christian faith? Um, I think you can still claim that you fit the category of young adult. So let me just ask you, Cameron, like, do you feel within yourself a draw towards transcendence? Hmm. You know, personally, I, I do, but I don't know if I can speak for my entire generation, but I can, of course, I can speak from my own experience. And I suppose for my peer group, I've had some other friends who've had similar experiences to me where, yeah, we were maybe growing up in more evangelical, low church contexts in high school and going into college and some of us had a kind of revelation, whether in a church history class or we just happened to visit a certain church where we encountered something, I guess you might call orthodoxy or or at least a, a higher expression of worship than we were used to. 
and something about that was compelling in a new way. And I've, of course, we're kind of behind this conversation in some ways because there have been so many books published in the last decade, I would say, as well, chronicling this epic, you could say. So yeah, I, I'm i interested in that question too. Like, where did the transcendence go? And did it stop for a while and it's starting again? Or has there always been this trend of, I don't know if it's a trend or an oscillation back and forth of of emphases? But, yeah. Um, yeah. I think, it, you know, in, in like popular theology, we often contrast transcendence and imminence. And it does have that feeling of like a pendulum where you hear people talking about, you know, in some ages we've leaned more towards the eminent, you know, we've, we focused on, let's say the humanity of Christ and, and lost touch with the divinity. And in other ages, we've had more emphasis on the, the grandeur, the divinity, the transcendence, and maybe less of a sense of the eminent. So I think there is kind of that, um, like built into the dichotomy, this assumption that there's been this kind of struggle and that what's needed is to bring balance where you have both of those things. But, but I think that may be one of the ways that this terminology is not perfectly suited to the, the yearning we're actually talking about, you know, because I, I feel like the people that I might point to myself included, who I might say, here's a person yearning for transcendence who wants more transcendence. I would never say, here's a person who seems to be yearning for less eminence. You know, like it doesn't feel like it's working on on that kind of spectrum. It feels more like a, a presence versus absence thing. Um, I guess I would think of it as, as like a, in terms of inheritance, like if you grew up basically impoverished your whole life, and then discovered in young adulthood that you actually come from a wealthy family, that you actually have millions of dollars in a trust fund and no one thought to tell you because they thought it would be better for you not to know. Um, you might have a sense that something needs to be recovered, <laughs> you know, that some, some sense that, that you weren't given everything that, that you should have been in terms of information. To me, that's the transcendence that, that is um, being yearned for. It, it's not that theological spectrum between transcendence and imminence so much as is, is like a, there was a fullness that should have been here, but somebody took, it away thinking they were doing something good. And, and, and in my frustration, I want it back. Something like that. I don't know. There's yeah. probably a better way to put it, but that's kind of the sense I have. I, I think that's right. And, and I wanted to ask about the, our definition of transcendence in the first place, because it seems an odd category in some ways. I, I know how we use it theologically, but I've been wondering how, how the Bible or if the Bible speaks about transcendence the way we do. Mm -hmm. And I can't think of many, I mean, it certainly doesn't use the term, but sometimes we use transcendence to refer to something that's simply more than materialism, mm -hmm. something that's quote unquote, an out of body experience or some kind of sublime encounter. Right. And, 
that is not a strictly Christian idea. There's all kinds of transcendence that people might yearn for at a concert. I, I remember in college there was this um, student, one of my friends actually, who wrote an, wrote an article or a blog post or something back when blogging was cool about how she went to a, a popular pop artist concert and it was so emotional that it felt like a worship yeah. c- encounter. Yeah. And, you know, it was a transcendent experience for her and a lot of the people there. And she was kind of using this as an argument against the need for church because, look, we can get this transcendent high at this concert or you can go out in nature. So that's why I, I chafe against the term a little bit. I, I understand what people mean when they say transcendence. But I think what you're getting at is closer to my experience anyway, where it wasn't just this sense of something greater than myself, but an inheritance that I had lost and had fumbled upon again. Right, right. You'll hear people say sometimes, uh, oh, that was like a religious experience. Yeah. And and typically people who say that have not had an actual religious experience to compare it yeah. to. But, but they're talking about being moved. Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of transcendence to me is similar to like uh, the physiological reaction you feel standing on the precipice of the grand canyon you know like the 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 sense of your own smallness in relationship to something vast Mm -hmm. induces that kind of feeling it is not necessarily unique to you know christian experience it's it's just part of you know being a small human in a big world so wonder yeah right and so i think you're you're making a good point because when I hear people talk about, you know, more transcendence, oftentimes, you know, the, the, the conversation goes down a path of like, um, like church architecture, you know, like high ceilings and stained glass windows and that sort of thing. That's more transcendent Mm -hmm. than, you know, a more sort of commercial looking space. And, and I get that from an aesthetic standpoint and, and like, you know, certain spaces being conducive to worship and that sort of thing. But that is not exactly what we're talking about here. You know, I I think that it's, it's my sense that there's a feeling in the church that we are missing something. We're calling it transcendence. And we're looking for this thing. The paradox is it's difficult to find. Like we're looking for this thing, but we don't know where to look. There's something about it that's difficult. And I think part of it is not being able to kind of put your finger on what it actually is. Mm -hmm. You know, I I had a conversation recently with a um, leader in a, you know, kind of, let's say, stereotypical sort of commercial seeker sensitive church talking about this this frustration you know the way that that model prevents that sense of transcendence and what can you do about it and what struck me about the conversation was that the terms the assumptions were all still in the seeker sensitive paradigm it's just the idea was you know we're we're missing the definition of what people are actually seeking 
you know, the idea is the young people are seeking transcendence. You know, they, they want to do hard stuff and believe hard things and they want to take their faith seriously. So we should be catering to those desires, not they want to be comfortable and entertained and that sort of thing. And again, I agree <laughs> with, with all of that, but I still think there's, there's a, a slipperiness to it because now we're talking about this thing transcendence as if it's just another sort of consumer good right that that rebranding might be the solution Mm -hmm. to your problem and and i think that's actually why we're struggling to find this thing because we are trying to fix the problem essentially by the same strategies that created the problem yeah i see especially the danger when we we talk about transcendence in more aesthetic or artistic terms. You were talking about architecture or stained glass windows. Sometimes we associate transcendence with high, high expressions, high art, right. high, high church life. And that's not exactly, <laughs> that's not exactly what we're getting at though, or that's not essential to orthodoxy, I would say. Right, right. It's not it's not central to the yearning, let's say. But yeah. but I think the reason why that confusion exists, I think those aesthetic things do speak to the yearning. Right. You know, I th- I think that there is a connection and that part is valid. It's just that if if you think this is the answer rather than this is another thing pointing to the problem. That's the issue, right? Yeah. That, that if, if you think that you will solve the absence of transcendence by lighting more candles, um, you know, adopting more liturgy, things like that, um, you won't, you can actually have a similar absence of transcendence with all of those sort of external aesthetic factors. Mm -hmm. But I think for people who don't have those things, the, the yearning for them, like they they serve as a kind of stand in, right? That, that you probably know on some level that what you want is more than just formality, liturgy, uh, beauty, things like that, not to discount them. But, but I think, you know, that, that it's, those are not really what it's about, but they seem like they point to what it's about or that they at least sort of speak to the part of you that is yearning. Mm -hmm. So, you know, yeah, like those may not be the, the destination, but I don't want to dismiss them as meaningless. Um, you know, I, I, I know people who have, you know, converted from, you know, one Christian denomination to another on what are essentially aesthetic grounds, you know, that, that I, I just thought this was more beautiful, you know, it kind of spoke more to my sort of sensibility or, you know, whatever it is. And, of course, I hear things like that, and I just think, ah, this is not the basis on which to make decisions like this. But there is some connection 
right? Like there's some reason why these things seem to promise to us that they might deliver on what's missing, Mm -hmm. you know? (laughs) I really resonate with what you're saying. And I think a lot of people probably will. I had a friend, I have a friend, I guess, who has been, he's told me tempted to join the Eastern Orthodox church Mm -hmm. for similar reasons. Mm -hmm. He sees in their liturgy, a depth and a, a symbolic, a symbolic depth and theological depth that he craves and he doesn't feel like he's getting it at his current church. And when I asked him, you know, what is it really that's drawing you there? He, he talked about incense Mm -hmm. and robes and and things that to me seem tertiary, but, but I understand the yearning. I understand when he, he looks at the whole get up, the whole service as he understands it, all of those things, like you say, point at a kind of transcendence that is actually longed for and good. I think, this isn't the right word for it, but I think for a certain kind of person, the appeal of that is its alienness. Yeah. The sense that although this is the faith that I possess, it's practiced in a way and it's it's shaped in a way and it looks in a way that's wholly alien to my experience of the faith and therefore presumably more authentic. You know, I think this is a common convert experience. You know, it's a little bit like the grass is always greener, but uh, for those of us who've moved from, let's say, one sector of the church to another, there often are these romantic ideas that are based on like outward perception of difference, you know, the, the smells and bells cliche, there's some truth to that, right? You see all of this sort of mystery and and none of it really is comprehensible to you from the outside, but it just seems like if, if, um, the faith was real, you know, if if I actually was going to practice what I believe, it would look like that. Like it wouldn't look like my everyday life. It would look like this holy other thing, like the, um, story of the Vikings visiting Constantinople and entering the church of holy wisdom and immediately converting to Christianity because, (laughs) you know, whatever God dwells in this magnificent building must be the real God. And, you know, there's a part of me that's like, Oh, that's not the right reason to become a Christian, you Vikings. And there's another part of me that's like, well, good. That's good church architecture doing its job, you know, having that, uh, that witness to it. And so, yeah, I mean, I th- I think you cannot discount that sense that anything that's become too familiar can be reclaimed through that defamiliarization, you know, that, that in the same way that reading the Bible in a different translation than one you're used to, suddenly, like, things jump out at you and it feels like there's an immediacy. Mm-hmm. I think experiencing worship or... Um, you know, theology or anything like in a different tradition can have a similar effect in the sense that it, again, it points to the fulfillment of that longing, even if maybe objectively it doesn't do that. You know, Um, I grew up in Southwest Louisiana where Roman Catholicism is the norm. And so I don't have romantic ideas about what Roman Catholicism must be like. Um, 
but I never knew Eastern Orthodoxy as anything but an idea. So I can have romantic ideas about that. Uh, but I was speaking to someone who was a classicist and a, a translator who lived in in Greece, and because of that firsthand experience, had no romantic ideas <laughs> yeah. about it. You know, I was like, "Let me tell you, this is what it's really like." And and so again, like being an outsider can imbue certain things with that sense of transcendence whereas someone who you know grew up with it is like no it's empty ritual or you know whatever it is and so some of that has to do with the eye of the beholder mm -hmm. but again i don't want to dismiss any of it out of hand because i think all of this is pointing to that sense of the difference between the magnificence of the faith within me and the sort of everyday expression of it that just seems so much less exalted than it ought to, mm. something like that. Yeah. So one answer to that would be this never-ending quest for the experience. And, and I think for some people that is kind of what it becomes. You know, we probably all know someone who has become like a serial convert who begins this journey looking for the missing thing, switches tracks, but then switches again and then again. And, and you're always kind of catching up with where are they at now because they're, they're sort of mistaking the, the signs for the destination or something like that. Um, but I think there's, there's gotta be another way to pursue that, that thing, that presence that isn't just sort of chasing after the signs or, or trading one aesthetic for another or something like that. And, and I want to say tentatively, but with some degree of confidence that, that it has to do with historic Christianity, that, that the thing that's missing and, and the way to recover it has to do with a move to the past it's not an aesthetic move and it's not just because the past is another country and they do things differently there, but, but because this is where the missing stuff is, is, a, is available to be recovered. Yeah. I'm thinking about my own experience moving to grace five years ago. I remember being so excited to be joining a Presbyterian church after coming out of a Presbyterian seminary and had checked out Grace online, had visited a few services and was so excited about everything that you were doing. We got coffee early on. Right. And, and you know, I was just ready to go. I was I was so stoked and I remember feeling a lot of these these things we were talking about attraction to the to the liturgy and and a you know a depth of a depth of theology throughout the service. Now I still appreciate all of those things five years uh -huh. later, but I will say, of course, some of the allure fades away, and you start to think, oh yeah, this is just how we do things, right? But I've I've heard it said that liturgy should be seen, th or you should look through liturgy, not at liturgy, mm -hmm. and that's a that's a really helpful perspective for me because 
so often that search you were talking about gets caught up in looking at the liturgy. What does it look like, especially from the outside? Once you get on the inside, you start to have to look through the liturgy as you experience it and live it out. And the purpose of looking through it is to see God yeah. through those things and to and to worship, ultimately. That's what the liturgy is, is trying to help you, help us to do. And that's why I'm so grateful to be at a church where we do that in a historic way. And even if some of the quote-unquote allure fades over time and you get used to things, those structures, those elements of the liturgy are still there to help you see rightly and to always be pointing you and habituating you in a posture of worship. And that ultimately, I think we would, we would say is the, is, you know, the yearning of the human heart is to be connected with God in that sort of way. Yeah, I think that's well put. The, uh, the things that are the draw initially eventually you will come to realize that those things are not the goal. Yeah. That there are means to the end, but the end is Christ. Mm -hmm. And they have value because they point to him. The historic church has value because it points to him, not because it's historic. Yeah. You know, it, it's, it's an anchor outside of time. It's not, you know, shaped by 21st century values, but None of that really is its ultimate value. Its ultimate value is just that, you know, thanks to those things and a lot of other things, they help us see Christ more clearly. So that, I think, helps us, you know, maybe label the thing. Like, it's not a search for transcendence. It's a search for the presence of Christ. Yeah. And the things that bring us closer to him, um, I mean, they may be different for, for different ones of us, but I, I have to believe that for people who seriously long to take their faith seriously, that the tools that have been given to us by Christ and his apostles and handed down over 2,000 years are of value to us in that, that quest and so recovering as much of that as we can is worthwhile, uh, not for aesthetic reasons, not for emotional reasons or experiential ones, first and foremost, although all of those things can be valuable, but first and foremost, because this is what he's given us and we want to pass down what we received. And so it's, uh, I think, going to be an ongoing conversation because it's an ongoing longing um i don't think it's it's true that you know this generation any more than 20 years ago is sort of instinctively searching for the right things yeah i agree i think that's something older people tell themselves when they notice you know hey there's some young people who actually value orthodoxy and it's like that's great. And it's so reassuring that you start to wonder if there's this sort of hidden trend thing going on. But, but my guess is that in every generation, most people are, are longing for the wrong things or for the right things in the wrong way. And that the, the sort of longing for orthodoxy is always going to be like a minority report, let's say. Um, the temptation for the church is probably, you know, can we have our cake and eat it too? Like, is there a way that we can like have this sort of consumeristic 
experiential church that appeals to people who aren't serious about any of this stuff, but, but, uh, but think it's cool, fun, whatever. Uh, and also bring these serious people more deeply into their faith. And, and I think the reality is you can do one or the other, but you really can't do both that the church is either a sort of commercial organization designed to build a big constituency or it's a faith community that has those deep roots getting deeper mm. and it's hard to have one entity be both of those things yeah. you know so there's a choice i think that we have to make fundamentally about what the church is meant to be and once you've made that choice then a lot of sort of the, the structures of the life of the church will follow from it. So, you know, at Grace, we've made a choice that we're going to be a worshiping community, uh, that we're not, you know, asking ourselves, well, what is it people are looking for? Let's, let's be whatever it is they're seeking. Um, we're trying to be what Christ has called us to be. And we, you know, believe that he is calling other people to be that too, you know? And so... It's a different it's a different calculus and yet part of our mission statement is is speaking to to longings right that's right people you know longing for more grace depth and community so how how does that factor into this yeah well you know i think it it, it factors in in the sense that we are acknowledging that we're surrounded by people with longings they cannot name mm -hmm. uh, with longings we sometimes misidentify and that what we are truly in need of is Christ. And so if you're longing for more grace, more depth, and more community, you know, you'll find it in a church like ours. Um, but you may not realize that those are the things you're longing for. And I think that's the, if, if there's any sort of overlap between, you know, the the sort of commercially driven organization in the faith community. It's that the faith community is trying to think about how to talk about longings in a way that people can connect and recognize that, oh yeah, the thing you're talking about is what I'm longing for. I just didn't realize it. And so essentially, I guess what we're trying to do is take something very alien to them and translate it so they can see that this this very alien thing is in fact the answer for for the longings i feel thanks for listening to the commentary if you've enjoyed this episode you can rate us on your favorite podcast app and share episodes with your friends on social media you can subscribe to the commentary on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. To find out more about us online, visit graceforsufalls.org. <laughs>